Hey, everybody. Have you been missing the ROA? Well, I guess I have been too lately. And it's on me, guys. How's everybody's pandemic going? Anyways, hope y'all are all doing well. Hope everybody's great. We're up in season two. And we have been. I've just been lax in recording these for a while. Anyways, The Siege, huh? We're going to close out part three of the Lee Nallis trilogy, huh? How about that? Anyways, uh, I'll talk some more on the back end. Whew. Uh, hey, every time I say I'm rusty at this and and here I am again, it's my fault. I'm the piece of shit. Okay. Uh, anyways, love you. I'll talk to you on the back end. All right, bye. Hello. Wait. What am I doing here? Sneak out the back. Jack. Wasn't this? Oh yeah. Wait. You can get on the bus. Gus. Wait. Oh yeah. Just drop off the key. Lee. Wait, this sounds familiar. There must be 50 ways to leave the honorary title of Navarre. I am not supposed to be here. Welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of the greatest TV show in syndication in <laughs> 1994, maybe 1993. Well, you take your pick. That's yeah. what we're talking about. We're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, fellas. All right. And now we're we're on the third episode of season two, yeah. which is the closing out the trilogy of opening episodes. Yes. This one is uh, it's called The Siege. It aired originally on October 10th, 1993. The IMDB description is as follows. As a circle-led Bajoran military attempts to occupy the station, a skeleton crew led by Cisco fight to reveal the Circle's secret before they're forced to evacuate themselves. Meanwhile, Kira and Dax lead a mission to reveal the truth about the Circle on Bajor. Yeah. All right. It's sort of the... I, I, I like this. I mean, this was probably the most action-heavy episode we've had in this sort of new birth of Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there was a lot of... But also extremely character-driven, too. Like, it, they didn't yeah, sacrifice... Kind of. I, well, I, I was... There's more character work in this episode for some of the characters than all of season one. Yeah. I mean, this episode is kind of, it's a, it's a lot of things to me. Like, it does its job. It's got more action. You have probably more shots of ships, spaceships flying around and doing action-y stuff than we had mm-hmm. the entire first season combined. Yeah. Or in Star Trek, actually. This was the first... Yeah, because it's all... It's like they get in an A-wing, basically. It's like Star Wars. They're in little (laughs) small ships flying around doing stuff instead of a big starship. Yeah. But, and it does all the job, and all the pieces are there, except it doesn't fit together well. All the scenes... I feel like they cut out a lot of connective tissue in this episode. Really? I've watched it a few times. Uh, See, I kind of feel like it was padded. See, I feel... Okay, well, when we go through scene by scene, I'll talk about more about what my issues are. Like, Uh But it just feels like there's questions that are... I don't know if it's the editing or the director or just they had too much or... From scene to scene, the puzzle pieces, the next thing that's supposed to happen happens, but it doesn't really lock into place. It doesn't actually fit together. 
right. Everything could have felt tighter. I, I'll give you that. I think everything could have felt like it could have been cut to flow a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. The flow is real off. They start off with the previously on, and they set up the last two episodes, and they set up. We talked last episode about how the Lee Nolan uh, arc is kind of kind of lost a little bit in the second episode. He just walks around saying, anything I could do to help? Yeah. And he, yeah. yeah. And in the, the previously on, they kind of, they, they re, reinforce that arc and they talk about Lee Nallen and everything. And they kind of have his two big, I mean, he kind of has two big moments here. Yeah. The Lee Nallen stuff is probably the most stuff I have to say about this episode. So we can wait, we can sort of shelf that until we get through. So that's there. And then first scene, it goes straight to the station's about to be taken over by the Bajoran military because the circle has taken over the provisional government or the provisional mm-hmm. government is about to pass its power to the circle. Okay, can we just talk about this for a second? Because I don't know. Exa- that's See, that's my first point. I don't know either. <laughs> Did Jaro just, as the head of the provisional government, we, now, we know he, since last episode, we know that Jaro... Frank Langella is now the head of both the provisional government and secretly the head of the circle. Right. I get that. But it just seems like at this, by this episode, he's just now the circle. So has the provisional government announced that, did Jaro just say, fuck it, we're now the circle? Or did he announce policies that were sort of pro-circle, so it's like a change in government initiatives? Yeah. And if so, they were talking about the government or the military and who would the military support because they were sort of like the wild card. But they were supporting at the beginning of this three arc, the provisional government. You have fighting the circle. Then you have this about face. And now they're fighting for the circle. It seems all like seems like there's more politics. There were scenes that needed to happen there. Exactly. That's part of it. Yeah. I don't even think I mean, cutting to the end of this episode real fast, just bringing this up. They're about to officially hand the provisional government has basically been taken over by the circle, but they're doing it by the book. Yes. They don't necessarily even know that Jaro is behind the circle or maybe they do, but they're hand they're going to hand all of their power over to Jaro because the circle has mm-hmm. been voted into being con- con- control of the provisional government somehow or it's a coup they've taken a coup but they've also brought the circle in their coup has brought the military on board i guess but how could it be a coup if the leader's the same person i don't because they call it a coup because when jake and nog are saying goodbye to each other no, I can't speak French. <laughs> yeah, because they... Okay, well, that was a great... That was a good scene. It was a good scene. That was a good scene. That was a good scene. I felt like some of the character stuff that they laid the groundwork for on season one actually had some weight to it. You know what I mean? It kind of makes you wish that there was some character work for the rest of the Star Trek characters. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with you. Well, there was... Mm-hmm. No, in this episode. There was. There yeah. was. Then we'll get to... Yeah, but... Even Keiko gets a scene. Even she does. <laughs> And we know the military's on board because it's the military guy that respected Cisco telling him mm-hmm. the truth without having to uh, milk him for information. That's the guy that's taking over the station, and he's he's doing his job. He's a nice guy. Is it Krim or something gross sounding? Something, I don't remember. Krim. Well, my, I guess my point at the beginning when Cisco was giving that speech about some of us are going to stay behind and yeah, so-and-so is going to marry a Bajoran and so-and-so did a school project with somebody. <laughs> okay, His daughter does. My my whole thing mm-hmm. is, is just a school project. he's really having to sell that stuff because we have seen none of that. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it right. could have been a good idea to actually do that. I mean, of course they had no foresight because it was an alien of the week show for the first season. Yeah, right. Well, you know, as Q would say, those are the little people. (laughs) We don't have to pay attention to them except that they're, yeah. Yeah. I also think that speech, and it's like the first thing that's talked, I mean, right after, it's right the first thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And he's giving that speech. 
is I think I mean that the argument between the the woman's getting married and the these two kids did a science project together is a little there was that was quite the jump <laughs> yeah, a little forced. yeah right yeah you could say that his kid is having another kid because uh, right. surprisingly the Federation is all apparently a lot of middle aged people for a military organization their front line is rather aged but anyway. You had the Janelle Monet haircut woman. She you did. She's the only one with the. They gave her like a futuristic haircut, and it looks like something you'd have today. Did. Yeah, it was a futuristic haircut that actually was authentic. Yeah, the rest of the haircuts were like '90s. I'm putting my hair up. Yeah, but yes, just like with a scrunchie or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that what Cisco's outlining in that feature, and I'm going to say this because uh, I like to use the Prime Directive as a punching bag, is that this actually it shows all of the flaws with the Prime Directive when you have a diverse. E- the edict, the the yeah. the Roddenberry edict, really is in conflict with the Prime Directive because the more that you diversify and integrate and intermingle into this cultures, you won't be able to extract yourself. From. Well, then the culture joins your culture, and well, and then assimilates. Yeah. That doesn't really help it either. Then Star Trek perspective. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the diversity. Is just yeah. Of course they were. I mean, I'm. You put 300 soldiers on a space station with 300 soldiers from another planet, of course they're going to fuck. That's just going to happen. Well, yeah. They're not a pre-warp civilization, so they can intermingle and stuff. It would be... Exactly, yeah. But you can't just, well, we got to let a coup take over. You know, like, there is, like... Right. You do have interpersonal interests involved. You know, you do have, like, co-citizenships, you know, and stuff like that. Right, right. So I think he's, you know, he showed where the the sort of the flaw in that argument is. Yeah, I mean, and I like that scene is is to make your contemporary correlations. Oh, we can also take the Bajorans who have worked with us, because the other Bajorans, it's like, you could do a whole Middle East thing with the translators, we gotta take care of them, because they're not gonna be safe. Or it's probably also, like, we're closing the embassy in Vietnam. We have to get our people out of here kind of situation. So yeah. We got to get our Vietnamese out of there. And then, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they're going to be, our, yeah. you know, our soldiers, Americans, and then you have to get the Vietnamese that, you know, are definitely going to get killed. <laughs> and I agree with that. I mean, I think that's the issue of it. And that's, I liked that about it. Um, I, it could have been a little rougher. I even think like, I think it could have been some of that, like last days of Saigon shit. Yeah. The, other than they yeah. used the, the idea of getting on the ships as like, hilarity for like a hacky one note quirk sort of routine right yeah when that that could have been some intensity to show like sort of the 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 realness of the situation at hand instead of just you know but they got to give quark something to do and that was something for him to do yeah i felt like they had to shoehorn him in into a political situation that doesn't and they could have done that a lot there could have been other ways i mean he deals in the black market i like to i like cork's take on it myself but yeah you can tell me what you well, I, I think it was fine but i do think it, it disrupted the tone i think a lot of what you guys are talking about how it was disjointed i think a lot of the they would stop for the quirks. Yeah. And then the fact that it's also the Federation is this ultra great society. Not a one of them decides to just, yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Sure. They all decide to stay behind. Maybe if like one guy was like, okay, well, Mm You have one Weasley guy say, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. And Cisco said, I'd, I won't think less of you if you do. And if this guy says, like, yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. And then they're like, no, well, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cisco's like, I totally think less of that guy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah right. the, no, like you could still do the Nog selling seat stuff because that's or not Nog, sorry, Quark. Yeah, yeah. Because that's Quark. That's Quark's character. He would do that. I buy that. I just don't buy that. This is the time to do it. You know, <laughs> right, right. He, he's taking a page from the 20th century airline industry and overbooking seats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, if it was actually a scene with maybe someone desperate to get the hell off. Like a pregnant lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, or a pregnant lady who's definitely going to get murdered by the Franklin Jello forces. A Cardassian pregnant lady. Oh, or Garrick. Oh, yeah, we didn't see him at all. That would have been nice. Yeah. They probably didn't want to pay for Andrew Ronson. Oh, yeah. That would have been an excellent use of Garrick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been fabulous. Something a little bit more strong. To still get that Quark, the Quark's making a buck, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be him and Rom doing yuck yucks. It could have been a little bit more. Yeah, I liked it. And then Rom sold them out for a Daba girl. Yeah, that was great. I wonder if that that's... was a great end of that. Yeah, I would. I don't want to spoil anything of Rom's relationships with Dabu girls in the future, but that could be interesting. Can they please find a character for Keiko O'Brien other than Ice Queen Kilgore Tiger Mom bitch? <laughs> because that is getting old. It's real well, old. Yeah, I didn't mind her as much in this one. At yeah, least she she had her point. Yeah, she you know? was fine. She didn't have a point. And I tell you what, O'Brien was way too comfortable slipping in that racial oh, slur. Oh, yeah, the, oh, Card- the Cardis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was way uh, too you know, comfortable. It's the Cardis. He kind of stuck. I don't know. Well, I, I don't have an Irish accent. Well, they really cemented also that he fought a war against the Cardis. Right, well, right, There's right. always been sort so of tent. He didn't call He didn't call them right. spoonheads. Yeah. Well, there was a child around. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But I mean, I, like, I'm not saying that she didn't have a point. It just seems that it contrasted her against the higher purpose of what the the main characters are doing on the show. So she could have been a little bit more like Linda Cardellini in like Avengers Two, where she's like, yeah. "Go get him! You're important, and this is this is important." And I knew I married a guy in the military. Right, right. And I will say it's in O'Brien's character, and it actually previously when I complained about like in the first episode of the season where he doesn't even mention his family, and he's like, "Yeah, we might not come back." Oh yeah. But as it goes on even and further mm. on in the show and then in the series, his whole thing is he never he always says, OK, I'll jump in to the thick yeah. of it. He never really stops and says, oh, you know, my family might be left. But he's like he's got a, such a high sense of, no, this is the right thing to do that I have to step in. And that is actually consistent for his character the whole time. Yeah. Well, they they're trying to have him as like the everyday family man but also like the wolverine character (laughs) and so like it's both kind of weird to marry the two it's like the first end of the fray but also like the one with the most to lose which is weird considering what cisco went through yes i'm surprised cisco just didn't shove him on a transport with his family like no you you be with your family yeah me doing shit like this killed right. my wife yeah you know like well, actually jean-luc picard killed my wife also you uh, you do show in this scene in this sort of run up at the beginning of this episode that dax is essentially a living library of yeah. all the people she's finally. been yeah finally she- why can't you use that she has a purpose based on one of her former selves know how to work reactor coils. Yeah, Tobin. And now she's good at reactor coils. Sub and pulse thruster coils uh, proficiency with. Yep. And it's nice. And then they do, they, and you're right, they do throw in more character work for all the characters in this. Oh, yeah. Even Dax, when she's talking about Tobin, 
she throws in, oh, yeah, Tobin was smart. Oh, he mm. was kind of boring. He barely had a sex life. Yeah, never got it's laid. Like, oh, yeah, we know we got finally season two. We know what kind of decks we're dealing with. The sex positive yeah. fun Zach. Yeah, we're dealing with it. Yes, that she's a she's a dirty girl who has access to seven lives. Yeah. Long lived lives. So that's that's interesting. And I think even I detected even later on in the episode, they start trying to, to sort of push Bashir. Oh, yeah. And boost him up. Because he's like, oh, he's out, man. Should I go help him out? And they're like, we got to trust him. And then Bashir yeah, yeah. does it like no problem. So it makes him look like yeah. less of a fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, the, that Bashir. And he actually said doctor stuff. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here's the other. Okay, here's the first place where the pieces don't fit together. They, after Dax and Kira are going to go off on their mission to the moon to pick up the A-Wing or whatever. Mm-hmm. They go, and then you have the scene where there's all the Bajorans outside the shuttle trying to get in because Cork overbooked it and sold all these seats to the Bajorans who were trying to leave. And then there's not enough seats. And then Lee Nallis has this first inspirational moment where he comes up and says, what's wrong with you? We're Bajorans. We're staying here in Bajor. And they let everybody else on. And then Kira and Dax get on the same shuttle. They're supposed to. They're going to a moon they don't ever explain how they're getting there, and then they get on the shuttle, and then they don't ever explain. Then they next scene with them, they're in a cave on the moon, picking up the space, talking about insects. Well, they said they'd have to get dropped off. They they said. Did that. they say that? Yeah, they said that. Uh-huh. They say, you have one of the runabouts. Take us, and then Cisco has that line and goes, "Well, what if that thing doesn't work? You'll, it'll be a long time before anybody could check on you." And she said, you know, that's a risk we'll have to take. Oh, I thought she was saying before I, we can check on you because he might be no, captured. No, 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 no. He was worried about, like, the runabout mm-hmm. dropping him off on the moon. Oh, okay. And and the ship that they were going to mm-hmm. find not working. And the Lee Nallis ship wasn't right, there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. That, all right. You got me. I had to watch it again, to be honest with you. I don't think I caught that the first time. When Lee Nallis gives the speech and then Cisco, you know, sort of con- – con- Lee Nollis and Cisco come in and fix everything at the shuttle hatch. Right, right. Like it's it looked like Kira, but you didn't see her face. Like they just showed her back. Like no, but it's definitely Kira and Dax both get, get on, on the there. Show. And it then is they definitely and then Kira. next scene there. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I get. Oh, yeah. they said what if we? They did say we have to drop you off. Okay, that's something. But it's it's like one throwaway line, and then it's not. They could have had a quick little or scene where they mention it more than once. Because then you're like, wait, why mm-hmm. are they going with Jake and all the other? I don't know. It's confusing. Yeah. But I like that they, I mean, they have a little bit, and you can see that they're doing that thing that movie, action movies do, where all of the guys get to the point, you know, it's it's a traditional action movie thing. At the end of the second act and thir- beginning of the third act, things are down, but they got a plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the good guys get a plan together, but they have, it has to be like, they have to tell you enough so that you can follow the intricate parts of the plan. Yeah. But also they have to not tell you enough so that it's interesting to All right. watch. Oh, and then the other part of that that is confusing. Okay, Lee Alice gives this inspirational speech and, and all the Bajorans decide not to leave. The, all the Bajorans are going to stay. And give their seats up to non-Bajorans. Yeah. Where do they stay? Because there's a lot more Bajorans. And then when the Bajoran military gets there, they're like, there's nobody here. Where the fuck did all the Bajorans that stayed on the station go? We're like, assuming we can't you mean just like qu- civilians. Yeah, Did yeah. they get stuffed in the Jeffries tubes too? Or? No. 
they didn't because there's way too many of them. There's they're not the ones helping. Yeah. There's a few of them, but there's way more. They're all civilians and stuff. They're not they're not holding up in the cargo bay with Bashir and capturing people. Yeah, they just disappear. They don't a, ever explain where those really people go. That's a really good point because if they were like just say if they all went to their rooms and locked down and the computer instantly said that we're civilians locked in the room, you would still want to search those rooms. Yeah, yeah, just in case. And when the military gets on, they're like, "We can't find anybody." They should. They should have said, "Oh, oh, all the Bajoran civilians are in this habitat wing over here." I think that that's you, all you had to do. But they're gone, and they don't explain where they go. All that you're left to think is that they divided up into those teams inside the. They're not Jeffrey's tubes, but whatever they are. Yeah, they're in the air ducts. They're pulling a. Uh, they're doing a air ducts yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and and so like you have to assume that they're just all like. You know, a quarter. But those are like able-bodied people with guns and stuff. Yeah. There's like women and children and, you know, untrained civilians. You're right. I got nothing. All the children from the school are still there. And they, they clearly say when they land with Stephen Weber, <laughs> they're like, we can't find any of the civilians. It's like, I, well, that's weird. I don't know where the hell they went. There must mm-hmm. be a scene there missing, too. But... Uh, yeah. Which brings us to Stephen Weber's in this episode, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep us. And then, then uh, but then back to the Kira, Dax are in the cave. Mm. Dax is scared of mosquitoes. And then we have another Muppet show up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, yay, yeah, yeah. Muppet. <laughs> a Palaku, which is a little spider. That's her answer. Which uh, was found by one of the prop guys at a yard sale. No. And they put a motor in it. Way. <laughs> really? Yep. Oh, somebody's old ha- Halloween decoration that they put a motor in. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> they made that motherfucker remote controlled. Uh, yes, there was there. Yes, yes, I read. It that. just struck me as like those deleted scenes from like Empire Strikes Back, oh. where they have like the snow monster come in and it just looks fucking stupid. So they didn't put or, or the way that most Isley Cantina look. Like, have you ever seen them shooting that without the smoke effects and the lighting? Yeah, yeah. Like it was just dudes and literally like Halloween masks that they got at Party City. Like it was yeah, yeah. like. The werewolf mask. A werewolf mask. Most famously. A devil. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that that shot of the Palaku bug lasts like a second, maybe. Yeah. And if they put if they bothered putting a motor in it, they probably have a lot of cut footage where like wait a minute, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, uh, Rick Berman said, Yeah, we were that we went to a lot of work to make that I, I saw a quote. I don't know, for some reason. No one there is no information on why Steven Weber is in this episode, but there's plenty of information about the, the tarantula. That's super weird. Because uh, that's all I want to know. Yeah. Because uh, you know, if you look on IMDB, Wings premiered in 1990 and lasted to 1997 Uh this is almost 1994 yeah this is the height like right smack dab in the middle of wings fame yeah yeah now is it one of those things where he just wants to be like there are there's a class of actor that wants to be on star trek in any capacity because it's you know, such a Franklin Jello you know, was one of those. He took no money yeah. for this. He took no money to be in this show. Oh, yeah. No way. Yeah, his kids uh, are nerds, and so like <laughs> he he did this for his kids. His kids were huge Star Trek fans. Oh yeah. So or next That's generation awesome. fans. Yeah, I mean, but Whoopi Goldberg is on the show. Just I mean, yeah, it wasn't good for yeah. her career. I mean, like you know. No. So you have, I guess that's what he is. But he was also, like, around this time, and I believe this is true, wasn't he filming a movie called Jeffrey with Patrick Stewart, where they both played oh, homosexuals? Yeah, like, that sounds own. right. Yeah, he was, where they're, like, a gay Back couple. AIDS comedies were a thing. It was, like, yeah, an AIDS right, comedy. Yeah, right, right. So maybe, maybe it was, like, hey, 
Patrick told me I should do this or I'm doing it as a favor or somehow he got locked in with these guys through that. I'm guessing because I looked for information and I got nothing. I got no information on why Steven Weber is in this episode. And it's great. It is such a small role. I mean, it's, I guess it's a pivot. It's it's like a throwaway. Like, I feel like they wasted him. (laughs) They can't bring him back for a better role now because he was this throwaway (laughs) asshole. It's like those actors that take small roles in Marvel movies. Yeah. And then you can't use them later on. Yeah. Um, We also learn in the, in the tubes that O'Brien loves uh, combat rations. Which I think is an ongoing thing for him. Yeah, it's like a. It's supposed. To, it's makes it look like they're like trench warfare type banter. I think. Except so for that, Cisco yeah, yeah. wants a soup, which doesn't strike me as like. Has Cisco never been in the shit? I think Cisco's never been in the shit. Well, I mean, have you seen the first? <laughs> no. Well, he was once, and his wife died. Well, <laughs> yeah, where his wife died. Jeffrey uh, was released in 1995. <gasps> uh, oh, so huh. it was filming in 1994 or late 1993. There you go. Yeah, probably. He was doing somebody. He was just hanging out. I think he was hanging out with Patrick Stewart, and he was like, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, he's like a guy that did everything. You know, he probably, like, somebody offered him work, he'd take it, because, yeah. you know, that's what you do. But still, yeah, it's like Wings was at its height. He was making, like, network sitcom money. Yeah, but even later on, he was in a, like, he was in a, the worst Sorkin show, but he was in Studio 60, and he was one of the better parts of that show. He was in big made-for-TV movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's. I mean, he's still... He was in the producers after Matthew Broderick. I saw him in the producers when oh, yeah, Matthew yeah, Broderick and Nathan Lane weren't in it. He's yeah. like got a real career. He's like he's a happy oh, man. Oh yeah, he's yeah. like a, yeah, awesome. He's legit. So good for him. Yeah, they're they're all in their civvies too. Like now oh. that they're waiting, now that the Federation isn't involved, when they're all hiding on the station, they're yes. in their civilian clothes. Is that why? Because I wondered why that would be. Yeah, because they're not acting under Star Federation directive. They can't be. Held or if they get taken captured and they're like we're acting under they're basically the maquis at this point they're in their civilian clothes. sure but I, like yeah. that's doesn't that go against what cisco is trying to do because his whole point is that he's just taking action to protect federation as they get out right that's his point so he's technically within the bounds of federation protocol or sure but he's taking action against them like actively um you know taking prisoners and stuff rules of engagement that's not just getting your shit yeah 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 yeah. uh like he seems like he's within his parameters of rules of engagement no because he's he's actively interfering with bajoran's politics which is their the anti-prime directive thing which is the whole reason they have to leave yeah so he can't be in they can be in uniform and gamble at the dabo table all they want but they can't (laughs) (laughs) but he created this bullshit excuse that they're taking forever to that that it's just leaving here is a very complicated process right and and that therefore if they come here we're gonna have to protect ourselves right because it's just taking well his reasons for stay that's his reason for not leaving immediately and after he's there he's doing it he's can what he can but he's basically handing it over helping out lee nallis and kira sending them to do the real work so yeah and sending dax with kira is a problem because she's a federation officer because you, you could just say, Kira's just doing whatever the fuck Kira wants to do. She ain't Federation. Right. Like, if she's just trying to disrupt their politics, that's her business. Can we she's talk about yeah, the yeah. Kira and Dax stuff just real quick? I think one of the things I liked about it so much is it shows Kira in her element. Yeah. This is... Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's improvising as she goes along. And that's what... It plays well into her naturally impulsive behavior. And maybe she's impulsive because 
she has to like you know jump from one crumbling situation to another while she was fighting the Cardassians. And now she's thrown in a very similar situation, and she's very comfortable with it the whole time. And it contrasted yeah. against Dax, who's used to <laughs> protocol and Federation. Starships. Yeah, Federation. Right. Sensors yeah, and stuff working. Telemetry, yeah. telemetry and like, navigators. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool juxtaposition. I thought it was a nice change. Because Kira is really useless in an administrative setting. And she's the you know, yeah. second highest administrator <laughs> on the ship. It's mostly her job, yeah. Right. What What's in her wheelhouse really is, are these types of situations. Kira is a victim of the Peter principle, which is that you promote people to their mediocrity. So, like, she was great as a soldier, oh, yeah. so they promoted her, and they promoted her, and they kept promoting her, so now she's at a she's at a job that's totally unrelated to what she was good at to begin well, with. Well, that's what Leonidas' Leonis, <laughs> whole problem is, too. Yeah. Except, exactly, except yeah. he wasn't as good as Kira. That's the whole thing. Is that he, like he shot a he shot a naked guy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. He stumbled on a guy taking a shit and yeah. shot him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, yes, I agree. I agree with all that you said, and I think that that did a really good job of not just that, but contrasting. But but anytime the show is taking times through characters and through situations to highlight the difference between Bajor and the Federation, the show's on good ground. Yeah, and so all of that stuff with Dax and Kira was good in that it you know you see that that Dax is kind of useless in this sort of ramshackle war and that Kira, Kira right yeah she's like how do we how do we aim and she's like take yeah. off the targeting computer Luke use the force yeah I mean K- Kira lived on the Fury Road right yeah exactly well the first she says we're flying by our seat the seat of her pants and then Dax is like how do we shoot by the seat of her pants, and then Kira's like, "No, you idiot!" With her eyes, says, you're no. the one that brought up seat of her pants. Eyes. You look at the thing and you shoot it. The first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, that's funny." They're doing that whole thing where she doesn't understand Earth idioms. <laughs> but then, then I watched it the second time. I was like, "Wait, no." She said seat of her pants like two minutes before. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. This is good stuff. Then they crash land, <laughs> and this is another my other issue. With the bad linking, the I'll agree with you pieces, it was just like they could should have used a better shot linking scene to put things together. Because Kira Lance has broken a hip, and then Dax is like, "I'm not going to leave you behind." And Kira's like, "No, you have to go. Damn it, leave me." And Dax is like, "No." And then you hear people coming. There's Bajorans coming after them. And then the next scene, uh, but they don't get caught. You don't see them get caught. Mm-hmm. They they're hiding, and then. Kira passes out because she's got a broken hip, apparently, which she didn't scream, which is, you know what? Kudos to her for holding that pain in and not screaming, getting caught. Yes. But then the next scene with them, they're in Beryl's quarters and he's giving sex eyes again. Her, yeah, sex eyes that he's not very good at doing. I understand that he gave them a, a cover for get, how to get in there. But it was also I felt like this was just service to like remind you that, right. hey, these two are supposed to want to fuck at some point. And is it wasn't the cover the same cover as the the Sean Penn movie Were No Angels, right, <laughs> or something like that? Oh, I didn't yeah, see it. Yeah, well, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they though? came in dressed as non. They had to cover up as nuns. Yeah, or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's it's confusing. It's a confusing switch to her being in the bed because they don't get caught, and it would be so easy to fix. And have it make like oh where it to be easily understandable. I don't know if it's the director's fault or the editors. Just have them have Dax be carrying her, and then she's like, no, no. And then they get caught by a patrol, and then you have her pass out, 
And then you reveal that the patrol was actually Beryl's. That makes, then it's clear and you don't have to leave the viewer saying, wait, what happened exactly? I'll agree with you. This all seemed disjointed to me. Uh, you're right. You're right. I think yeah. they left, they left. What I want to guess is that they made decisions on set. They had all the, the like, there's a thousand storylines going on by this point. And I think they just probably just did a shitty job at editing. Yeah. And yeah. it was just all about wedging all of the necessary shit into the 42 minutes. Right. And then they, there's just not enough enough to worry about flow and right. the artistry of like there's probably a missing scene where the Bajorans round the surround them and then they reveal that it's maybe Burial's men or something. Yeah. Or they didn't want to pay for all of the Right. I think that's more likely. But yeah. the transition scene is just they're squatting, Kira passes out and you feet see feet walk past and not find them. And then they're found all of a sudden and she's waking up and has her face. It's like, so it's like, come on guys, you, you can do this more well, smoothly. That was a little jarring. There yeah. wasn't, a, yeah, that, that was pretty abrupt, wasn't it? I agree with that. It seemed weird when you're watching it, so much so that you're not exactly sure of what you're seeing. Yeah. No, he's explaining mm-hmm. it. And then we have the pork and Bashir, you can't take it with you scene. <laughs> yeah. But that's clearly a good press Latinum in your thing, not your, not your right, keepsakes right. or whatever. And, but yeah. he can take it with and, you. And well, you can, and he does. Exactly. And Bashir insulted Andrea Martin. Right. Yeah, that's where we learn another. I have to bring it up because that's another rule of acquisition. Rule 31, which (laughs) this is before the Internet. It's like, that sounds familiar. I had to look it up. (laughs) Nowadays, rule 31 is a 4chan Reddit thing, which means tits or get the fuck out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. (laughs) I know rule 43, which is if it if if it exists, it exists as porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rule 31 apparently is tits or GTFO. I mean, it's like, oh, man, mm. that's not cool to make Rule 31 about somebody's mom. <laughs> <laughs> but this predates Naked that. mom. Naked mom, yeah, too. Right. They're like, oh, it's about moms. Well, tits. Yeah, well, you don't have to get mm-hmm. the fuck out because there's naked There's naked <laughs> Ferengi. Ferengi ladies. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Um, and then we get to the scene where uh, between Cisco and Lee Nallis, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Where he's Lee Nallis has got to be the Cisco is like, I could probably talk to Krim and get this all fixed. But you need to talk to needs to be you. Right. Oh, right. Well, because they're they lost touch with Kira and Dax. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we're not sure if we're going to be able to get the proof to the provisional government. We need you to do something. So I think, and again, it's. I think that my biggest issue is that Lee Nallis is sort of poorly written, yeah, or poorly conceived. As the course, we talked about it a little bit last week, and I think it's going to be through the course of this whole like episode. Is he? He's kind of just kind of poorly written, and I was thinking like they never really had a model for how to show it, right? And I think that probably what they should have done just uh, just occurred to me is that writing as if if he was the deadbeat dad of the Bajoran provisional government. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I, I didn't know I had this kid. I didn't right. know I was so important. Yeah, yeah. I kind of don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> right. But, you know, over the course and, of... And they, they hit upon that. They did that a little bit. A little bit. A he little did bit. try to but skip out they... that first episode. <laughs> he was, like, on a ship. He had a duffel bag yeah. around his shoulder. He was... Yeah, yeah. If there was a window, we made that joke about how he'd have one leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But then the previously on in this episode, it sets him up as a hero. This whole time, they talk about him being a great hero at one point langella says that the early on in the episode or when the military shows up at the station and they can't find lee nallis he says oh wait a minute lee nallis would never abandon bajor it's like 
what the fuck, motherfucker? He tried to two episodes ago. <laughs> right. So ago. What are you talking about? And then I guess so the, they're the like, legend oh, of Liam never do that. would never do it. I, the reality is a different thing, yeah. I guess. But they don't <laughs> yeah, do yeah. a good job of making that clear. But not only that, but the man, but they, he's, not even, he's not even conflicted between the, like the myth of Leonalis and the reality of is not even a conflict within the character. And that's what we're supposed to see. Yeah. It's also, they made it about, a, I don't know if I have those skills or like if I'm up to it. And like, I think it should have been, I don't know if I want that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think it's different. Absolutely. Not that I don't know if I can do it. Like it's the first, like it's his first day on the job, but he got hired, so he's got to do it. No, it's that I don't know if I want this. Mm-hmm. I had plans, you know, if I was going to be rescued off of Kadar- Cardassia, I was going to spend it like knee deep in pussy and gold like or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and you're taking away my pussy and gold things. Or I want to be a, fu- or I want to be an organic <laughs> farmer, but now I got to share, I got to shepherd this government why into are those two things? Why are those two things? mutually exclusive i think an <laughs> organic farmer could be knee deep in those things yes or whatever right. you know like he, I, mean, he, I had hopes and dreams outside of like taking care of right. your bullshit po- political structure right. it's never like about what he wants it's always kind of about oh these guys around me are so nice and i hope i live up to the model of cisco which is right right the cisco talks to him i mean the one thing he says like i would die for bajor and then cisco's like no you'd like that exactly that would oh, okay. get you so out not only it. that but they wrote the way out you can say okay just to skip to the end lena alice gets shot by Stephen weber and dies for bajor okay now that could be the ending and behind the scenes they didn't want lena alice to remain a character because richard Paymer cost more money than they wanted to pay so louise fletcher had a better con- she they would rather louise fletcher being the reoccurring character from this story arc instead of richard Bame. so they didn't want to pay him for that so that's that but they killed him and not only is that cheap just in general but it's cheap mm-hmm. in the story where Cisco actually tells him that's the cheap way out. The harder way is to live it. And then at the end, he doesn't get to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, like, I felt like the <laughs> right. show, if you're going to kill him, you got to yeah, cut yeah. that line. He's like, I got what because I want. Because Lee Nelson's got to look like he sacrificed all. Instead of taking it. <laughs> yeah. And like, taking the chump ways out. He's died with, like, a <laughs> smile on his face. Like, I ain't got to do shit. Yeah. So, like, I felt like it, it gave me the reason to believe this is a shallow ending. If they had not said it, I would have just went ahead and said that, yes, there's no fate worse than death, and you gave the last measure of fidelity to cause or whatever. But no, Cisco is saying, dying is a chump's way. Living it is the hard way. And like I was like, well, thank God Lee Nellis didn't have to do that. Yeah, right. And then at the end, they like... They sing a song, like, it's back to the man who shot Liberty Valance, where they're singing the song about, like, no, that's the only man I'll ever speak of, is the is the great man. And I'm just kind of like, you just let, you've made that a shallow ending. Right. Like, that was weird to me, because O'Brien is, at the end, Kira's like, he <laughs> right. was such a great man, I can't believe, blah, blah, blah. And O'Brien's like, what the hell is she talking about? Is she talking about the same guy I know? Because that guy just wanted to get out of it. Right. I like that O'Brien, as a man, could see, like, Lee Nellis didn't have no soldier in him. <laughs> like, I like that. Like, that that, that was, just, yeah, I like that. <laughs> right. And it, well, and it just goes mm-hmm. to, and then Cisco's like, yeah. Cisco knows that O'Brien's right, but he, like, knows how to... <laughs> He knows what needs to happen and what the Bajorans need. So he's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to, anytime they ask me, I'm going to tell about the hero he is. And it's like, he doesn't even shatter Kira's illusions 
because like she should know better. She was she knew the guy. She interacted with yeah, him. She's, but she still lives in her delusions of of what you know. It's like I don't want to make it about religion because yeah. I'm more religious probably than both you guys. He's like, oh, I'm not going to disturb her religions, even though I, her illusions, even though I kind of know that they're. I'm going to let her keep her myths, even when it's obvious that she saw the myth and it wasn't there. Yeah, I think that you can go back to these other sort of like. Okay, yeah, there's the Martin Luther King my son knows, and there's the Martin Luther, and there's the real Martin Luther King, and they're sort of different people, but not really. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I want to tell my son the Martin Luther King that he's taught in school. I don't want to, you know, I don't want him to know about mistresses, you know, and all that shit. And he was sneaking a smoke, and that's how he got shot. Like, I don't want to tell my kid this stuff. Right, right. I want to tell my kid that, no, there was this amazing, flawless man who came and started a revolution and changed people's lives, for, and changed America for the better. And I think that that's like, Lee Nallis is like that, and that Cisco is going to keep the secret, you know? Right, except there's less behind that secret. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's true. That secret's more of a lie. Wayne Ellis did literally didn't do anything, but he delivered. Now I think that his uh, his little speech about uh, at the, at the shuttle thing is supposed to be his "I have a dream" speech. <laughs> All right. Well, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think so. But <laughs> yeah, I like, think yeah, that yeah, no, that's nothing's one to one. But <laughs> don't get me wrong. Martin Luther King is better than Lee Nell's character. In the- <laughs> okay, I think you. I think you needed to say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We no, have but to- I'm just saying that that like the 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 political face of someone. Abraham Lincoln was as a political compromising wily motherfucker. He wasn't the stalwart rock, but he. He was the stalwart rock that works politically, and it also works in rea- like it works. That's the, that was his effect on American life. And I think Lee Nallis, they're trying to make that story with Lee Nallis, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, well, I think- a lot of things in this episode don't quite work. The pieces and the ideas are there. Like even before when Kira and Dax storm into the General Assembly and show the proof, mm-hmm. it's it's weird. It's like there's not. I mean, maybe they want to say that nothing clear happens but it's confusing like you're like oh did they win or not and then you don't know they won till the scene with cisco's talking about what a great person lean alice was yeah like they go in there and, and then nurse ratchet realizes that they might get caught so she gets langella to say oh well you know hmm. we'll do it whatever the council wants and she turns on langella pretty she noticeably turns on langella pretty quickly right but he doesn't yeah. even take it as like she turned on me he's like he takes it as like oh this is the hint i need to get yeah we're, we'll do whatever and it's kind of weird oh did they win or do we have to wait do we have to wait for them to do, review the materials and then prove no no no. i think that that second thing that she said she said that no we're going you don't mind it we review it right if you're if you believe that this is not the case and he goes yes right and then she does it again afterwards on his way out the door and i don't know why he's choosing to leave at that point because he just looks like he was being escorted out right uh, it sounded like he was like oh we'll do that and he's going to try and find a way to skew the results or something it doesn't ever see he doesn't ever actually look like he's lost which is a good politician i guess and i think that what she was doing was i thought she was posturing to be against him no matter yeah, what. yeah i thought she was gonna throw him under the bus like i thought that, like no no matter what kai win was going to live out through the day this guy might be going down she is going to live yeah, exactly they should have done a better job of throwing him under the bus oh, i, th- I, I thought i was pretty I, clear yeah. where, what direction that shit was going she knew she believed she knows kira so when kira brings evidence she knows it's game over she's she's already on top of it she's in her mind she's like right 
this is legit. Yeah, I see. She's all definitely on top of it. It's less clear because it's it feels like Jaro is also just going to say, "Oh, you're right," and just glide away. It's not like he actually lost. It's just that they're not going to take over and kick the Federation. Well, out. I think that you're supposed to think, and obviously Frank Jill and Jill is not back on the show, so obviously it all like right. They should have made <laughs> it more clear that he gets deposed yeah. or something. But it's, I think they set it, it up just to where like once they, they look sure. at it, they will see that this is the case, and he's politically exiled or arrested and but kai win lives on right and just and then the way there it's just something about the directing it wasn't clear and concise as much as i wanted and even the last shot of that scene is kira looking at somebody in the eye is what it looks like she's looking at the camera and she looks up like she's like looking at win or something and realizes that win's playing a a higher game Mm -hmm. it's what you think but the editing and the way it's cut you have she's not looking at anything she's giving a charged look at somebody or something but it's badly it they don't show what it's supposed to be saying it's just bad it's just bad filmmaking yeah what is this emotion supposed to convey they should yeah. they should have done a they you cut to like just do a you know cross cut to kai win looking back at her because clearly that's what that shot was supposed to be for but whoever's editing it just didn't they've just fucked it up and it just made me annoyed because all the, like I said, all the pieces for this episode are there. They just don't fit together as well as they easily could. Yeah. The one thing, I, I, the biggest question I have, and it may be the biggest question of this whole three-parter, is I don't really, I want to understand Jaro's oh, most relationship with Wynn better. Yeah, okay, yeah. it's very, do we all agree that it was hinted that they're fucking? I mean, they have a romantic relationship. Who knows if they're uh, actually. I think they're fucking. I don't know if romance has got nothing to do with it. Well, I mean, they have, they have a sexual charge relationship but nobody knows they're they're not like (laughs) no 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 i do i i I they're not doing a scene where she's got sheets over her up to her neck or anything (laughs) (laughs) okay uh those (laughs) l-shaped sheets where it covers her tits but it's always it's down to his like belt line i think he's clearly in love with her but i can't tell if he's love with her like a religion i don't think he's in love with her I don't know what he's all, I think they're both politically savvy. He's always including her. And he was like, I always have a place for you. You are my Kai and no. all that shit. And she's manipulating him. And I you think know, I don't think it's love. I think it's a political thing. I don't think it's love. Yes. See, I don't. I think I think that he's attached to her, but I don't know if he's attached to her because he's because he's into her, you know, in between no. her leg, or if he no. like well, loves her as a pope, and like he's, and he's got like a religious he needs, he needs fidelity her to her, he, he yeah. needs her like political support. I think that's why. It's like you rub, I'll rub. That's you, what I rub. read it. At. I, I read it as think- they're both very shrewd politicians. Right. No, there are multiple times that she's leading him. Oh, I definitely think that there's a sexual component was, to her yeah. leading him, but I felt like they not just a sexual opponent. No, no, no. The, I, I mean, think just that rem- she's just like energy, not like she, he yeah. is clearly more attached to her. No, through their dialogue, not necessarily through yeah, their because acting, because he's, he's creepy, he, Frank Langella, needs- and you can't you can't believe that it, he's never said a non duplicitous word in his life. No, he needs a political support. He needs something from her. She doesn't necessarily... She's waiting to see whether or not... Well, no, because she's got to beat Actortron 5000 out to be Yeah, Poe. he's locked into her being his no, Kai. No, she's, go, she's going to be Kai. No. She's going to be the Vedic. She's going to be Vedic when She's using him power. to get to her Kai position. At the end of the day, no matter what, she's still going to be Vedic no, that's not set in. that's not set in stone. She, she's already Vedic win. Yeah. I know, that's what I'm saying. She wants to be Kai win, and she's going to use him to be Kai win, and he's going to put her as Kai win so he can get the political capital of the religious. I understand that. I don't think that it, love has anything to do with it though i think that there's a sexual subtext to what they're saying 
but I don't think it's, it's so, so you think it is all sex and politics. Yes. Because I think that multiple times I think he, it's mostly I'm in somewhere in between with y'all. Because he could pick he could go someone else and also use them or another religious he could also play the religious politics game with somebody else. But he is locked into Kai Wen. I think Jaro is supposed to be like the the hot O'Brien's assistant from last season. I think he's supposed to be the next guy who's been manipulated into overreaching by Kai. Oh, I definitely think he was manipulated. Yeah. I think she she played him, but I think if somebody else, you know, a different terrorist leader came with the same offer, she'd field the offer. Yeah, but yeah. My, yeah, no, I agree with that with her, but I don't think he would. I think he was I would think he was devoted to her. And I can't tell I don't him. think he was devoted. I think he needed her political backing. I think that he needed that. I think he was locked in. I think it's a little bit of both. He was devoted to her because he was locked into her. And he also had this he also thought that they had this intimate relationship where they could rely on each other. Whether or not that's love or not, I don't know. I think he knew she's a political animal. I think his words were written in a way that where if Franklin Jilla Franklin Jella is a man who can't exude weakness. Just he's just not in his makeup. He's like creepy, duplicitous, tough, evil guy, and that's what his entire career. He played Nixon. He got an Oscar nomination for playing Nixon. That's something that you you have to like. It's baked into the cake. It's like Robert De Niro can't play weak either, but convincingly. And I think that Frank Langella is too. But I think his lines and the way those two scenes between them played out, it played out as if he was hopelessly devoted to her, and she was less so to him. Yeah, he was Mister This Moment, and she and she. She was with him because it was politically advantageous to her. But he was yeah. he was devoted to her. You're reading into this devotion thing a lot more than I think anybody who's watching this. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. I think he was committed to her. I don't know about devoted. I think he's committed to the political process. I don't think he was devoted like, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth because there's so much romance. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I don't necessarily think it was romance. I was trying to figure out, was it romance or was it religion? Oh, I couldn't man. tell. No, I don't think he's a religious man either. I think he's a fucking shrewd bajoran. He's definitely, yeah, he's He's just a politician. Who wants the, you know, to be the mm-hmm. leader of the entire planet. Because he's talking about giving stuff to people. He's like, I'll give Lee and us whatever he wants. Yeah. I'll give you whatever you want. He's doling out political fail- mm-hmm. favors in exchange for support. I don't think it's yeah. So I, you don't think, and I, I don't, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, Hugh, but like, but you read the books, but I don't, you don't think it's like a Red Queen Stannis oh, thing? No, I think you're giving everybody way too much credit here. <laughs> I, think I don't think anybody watched this episode and be like, shit, he really, he's got a bad for Melisandre. <laughs> I never thought that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Louise Fletcher was yes. Melisandre. Let's, no, I'll leave it at that. No. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I just wish he threw him under the bus more and it was more clear that he was done. Yes. I think it all comes back to they should have been more clear, clear about what the political situation is. <laughs> exactly. Was. I think everybody needed a little bit more clarity on that. Okay. Should we move okay, on to Okay. Yes. Melisandre is married to Guy Pierce, by the or, or having a baby with Guy Pierce. He's a lucky guy, but Guy Pierce. But anyway. Move on to what we would change about this episode. Uh, sure. I think I've been pretty clear about what I didn't like about it. Yeah. And I just, you want to just, just cle- recap it in a nutshell? Just clean up those transitions. You would re-edit this episode. Okay. Yeah. Just like make the scenes flow. What about you, James? I would have not killed Lee Nallis. Right. I would have somehow worked that scene to where Lee Nallis doesn't die. And to where Lee Nallis has, and like make it, is in like, holy 
shit. Like, have like a scene at the end where Lee Nallis is like talking to Cisco and he's like, I don't know if I can commit to this. And Cisco's like, you can do it, man. And he's like, you know, he looks like a deadbeat dad. He's now having to raise his kid. You know, he looks like a <laughs> Nick Hornby novel. And he goes off and then like O'Brien comes up and goes, that is not a military leader. That is a crumbling <laughs> fucking weakling. And Cisco's like, no, he's not. He's a military leader. That's all I'll ever say. You know, he gives that speech because I believe in the myth of Lee Nallis. And now Nate, Lee Nallis has to go be the myth because that's the harder story. But it's also more noble. And I, you know, Lee Nallis gets to walk off a hero. But the reason they killed him is because they didn't want to have to pay him. That I don't think they had an in-story reason for doing it. And that bothers me. Yeah, they tried to write one in and it's like kind of weird. Yeah. So that's what I would change. All right, Hugh. <laughs> well, um, there's I, I've got two sh- kind of short ones that I would change. I would have. I think it was pretty obvious the minute you lay eyes on Stephen Weber that he's going to portray the you know his commander. Yeah, I, I felt like you could see uh-huh. that. So I would have instead of that, I would have had him like every, they're on the station. Everybody's like, oh, it's abandoned. No big deal. Everybody go to your quarters. Okay, Stephen Weber goes to his quarters. He makes himself at home. He takes a shower, he comes out of the shower, and Leonidas falls out of the air duct accidentally, looks up and sees a naked Steven Weber, shoots him and kills him. And then history repeats itself. Time is a flat circle. Right. I would have had I would have I would have had I would have had a callback, right? To that. And then, you know, everybody rushes in and sees a naked Steven Weber and Leonidas killing him and just assume that he was a hero again. And that that's that's the one thing I would have changed. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say I would have been entertained. That would have been. I, I think that you should have called back to that. My other thing. My other thing is uh, I liked the fact that Rom did that thing to his brother. But in the first season, Rom actively tries to kill kill Quark, and I think that should have mm-hmm. that should be a should have been a, like a running motif throughout the series. That once a season, Rom actively <laughs> plots to kill his brother because you know how he's he doesn't have the lobes for business. You know he can't see that there's a supply yeah. and demand issue with the ships and Quark. I mean the audience understands the supply and demand before Rom does, but it's mm-hmm. funny to me that somebody who's so inept can go from has no choice but to go from extremes. So for him to try to kill Quark in the first season, I think he should have like should have been more Yeah. I mean you know, ill will and he should have actively like instead of like a gag, like it should have been like a Yeah, plot well, I mean given Rom's series arc, it would have been harder to pull off, I feel like, but I I, I think no, no wait, but wait, they wait, wait. Went with the but right direction without think, any spoilers. But yeah. I think actually it would have been great if once uh, if if they did do that, like once a season, they have the the once a season, yeah, like the yes. Rom tries to quote Quark, mm-hmm. and then you throw it in as like yeah. Ferengi really are an alien society. We can't understand them, and then right. and he you keep the same yeah. keep the same characterization and arc that Rom has through the whole series, <laughs> and then just throw in it's like the. Roseanne Halloween episodes or whatever where they're trying to prank everybody. Right. It would have been fun. Yeah, yeah no, that, or, or like, yeah, yeah, no, it would be great. It would be like the, the Hitchcock cameo. You would be waiting. Wait. Fans would be waiting exactly. each year to see which episode <laughs> is Rom going to, is Rom going to betray, uh, try to murder Quark. I think they accidentally you know? stumbled upon that in the first season and then decided to go obviously with a different direction. Yeah. So yeah, I would have had to call back 
have Stephen Weber killed naked <laughs> after making because they make himself every they're so comfortable on the ship like on the station they're like hey, it's a, it's ours uh-huh. they, they left go go uh, take some quarters take whatever one you want. You talking about that reminded me of one thing I wanted to complain about it before is that uh, the Krim because they're trying to show him as like a smart military leader and that he's un he's unnerved when he walks on the ship and it's empty and he knows that Cisco's smart and can probably do, he respects Cisco enough to to know that he's probably got a stratagem mm-hmm. for what to do here and so he goes. He can't. They'll never attack. They'll never attack. But if they divide us, and then an alarm, the lights go out, and he goes, "We need to send out search parties." So divide our no, forces. No, no. Actually, it's Stephen Weber that does that. Stephen Weber's like, "I'm taking people. I don't yeah, care." Yeah, well, but still, who's the fucking commander? Yeah, exactly. Because he's supposed to say, "Don't divide our forces." That's the only way they can defeat. Right. He's he set up. I know strategy, and is like, "Okay, show us, dumbass." It's like, "Oh yeah, this is what." It, no, they try to divide. Oh, he's doing that thing I said he'd try to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll just let him. <laughs> Yeah, it literally was. Well, if if we divide our forces, well, okay, guys, let's divide our forces. Oh yeah. Like, oh oh, and that's another thing that's just kind of half-assed. At the end, Stephen Weber, there's like the call, like, oh, we've got the four people over there, and we've got these guys captured. Stephen Weber goes, okay, I'm gonna go get them, and he runs off. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And then then it's set up as that's the ploy that they got to tra- trap him. But he just wanders in the to the hallway, not because he's going anywhere. He just stumbles around into the hallway. <laughs> For no reason, and then gets captured. <laughs> and then later, Stephen Weber comes back with Bashir and Quark, which felt like there was also a net missing scene somewhere where he captures them and brings them back. And the commander has got everybody else and says, oh, it's already over. But it's just like unclear. It's like weird. Yeah. There's like missing information, which is my whole problem with this episode. Also, rebellions just in general, they work better the more they kill people. Why didn't he just kill Bashir and Odo like at the fucking door? Like, I don't understand. Once you get people, just kill them. You're a rebel. You're a rebel force. Just kill people. Yeah. Well, the Federate, that would, you don't want to piss off the Federation, right? I guess that's true. If you kill the Federation. Just real quick, guys. Do you guys want to guess on the IMDb real quick? Oh, we haven't done this in a few weeks. Uh, just Yeah, just real quick. Out of 10. What I do bet you, it's pretty high. What do you think they gave it? I say it's a 7. What do you think? I say 6.8. This is a 7.9 out of 10. It's almost an 8. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. They gave this, they gave this an, a, a, almost an 8. This is 564 votes. And that's a pretty high vote count, too. It's a highly rated episode of Deep Space Nine. Whoa. Yeah. That's actually. Like I said, it's got everything there. It's just the connective tissue is threadbare. Yeah. It's just badly. D- I don't edited. think that people are looking at it as, as hard. Like, I think if you. Yeah. No. Yeah. I And it took me like two or three viewings before I re- realized where all the pieces didn't yeah. fit. Like the first time I watched it, I was like, this is pretty good. And I watched it again. I was like, wait, that's weird. That's an awkward transition well, to that next scene. And then I was like, wait, why? Wait, wait where are those? Where did those Bajorans go? And then nothing gets answered. We're all both not amateurs at this we're pretty good at it. i think it's highly rated because it's cashing in on the goodwill of the previous two good episodes it's you're basically saying that this one story is really good yeah yeah the first episode homecoming has got 7.6 the circle the second episode of the arc got 7.7 and then so then siege got 7.9 so i mean they, they go yeah. uh, oh and and it's exciting there's stuff that happens that hasn't happened in Star Trek before, so I get that. Sure. It's yeah. exciting, and there's stuff. It's more technical issues that I have with it, but I do think it is actually pretty good, but 7.8, I'm not so sure. So you think you think that's like Return of the King getting the Oscar? Like, yeah. We, we like the whole thing, so we'll give you a 7.9. Sure. Yeah, because I think this was the episode, just from like a bullet elevator pitch review of this episode, I think this was the episode where they didn't have three hours of story, 
They had two and a half hours of story. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the episode where it showed. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. It's it's good. Overall, the whole storyline, though, is a really great way to start season two. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I hope, we're... I hope they keep it up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. We'll see. All right. Are we done? I'm done. I guess we're done. Three to beam out. Oh, hello again. Here at the end. And that was The Siege. Hey, uh, how's everybody been? I've been real, uh... Relaxing, getting back to these, haven't I? Sorry for the delay on everything again. Yeah, so that was the siege. We had James and Hugh uh, both cover parts one and two. This is the uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance trilogy with Stephen Weber, who I guess just showed up in this episode. But hey, going back and re-listening to the ROA at this time. It's a... What a long... Strange trip it's been. Um, it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of this. We talked in about how this is the most action-packed Star Trek ever uh, up until this point, and yet now we've got nothing but action Star Trek. And yep, that's right. I think I might end up talking a lot about Discovery in this uh, remix here because I mean I think I I mentioned in this one about how it felt like they were really trying to Star Wars it up with the. Small little fighter jets and Dax being the ace pilot and the ships and 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 then we get this discovery, especially at season two, where it's like, oh, and Picard, that last episode, spoilers, I guess. Hey, it felt a lot like they were trying to ape Star Wars. Star Wars. Everybody loves Star Wars and Discovery season two, especially ended with nothing but pew pew pews. Though, yeah. Uh, I guess Star Wars still did. It was just in spoilers. I guess for me, it was in an incoherent mess as opposed to this to where, again, it's funny listening to this old stuff because I talk a lot in this one, how it doesn't fit together for me. And at this point in the rules of acquisition, I guess I'm the asshole here talking it up, which is, Oh, how the tables kind of flipped. I mean, not that James and Hugh are saying, it's great, shut up. They accept my criticisms, but it seems like the flaws hit with me a lot worse than they did with them. Like This is an episode that just feels like we, all of us, like the ideas in this episode and in this trilogy with the politics of Bajor and everything. I think we really keyed into that. But then, like, just like later, if if this ended up in the end of the ROA, maybe we would have different feelings, and I would be the guy saying, "No, it's doing it's doing things that it was just at the time that nobody else was doing." And then maybe James and Hugh would be the people saying, "No, but it didn't fit together and it sucked." I don't know. Maybe I I don't know. It's just some of us were more innocent, and then we were just figuring out how we were doing this whole podcast thing. Anyways, there are a lot of politics, and a lot of the politics stuff kind of sell differently now, like. We talked a lot about like, oh, there's all these behind the scenes goings on with the politics that aren't in the show that probably we felt like needed to be in there. Like the provisional government just hands over power because of the vote. And we're like, what? Why would they even do that? Or is it a coup? Is it a vote? Because we're not quite sure. I mean, I don't know. It's starting to feel like certain things in our country are starting to fall apart. Uh, James is very big on the balkanization of America right now, especially. And, you know, that was because of a vote, kind of, right? 
So it doesn't always take a coup, I guess. But then I don't know. Like we have Trump saying that there's a coup going. Ugh, politics. Oh, uh, oh, I don't want to be that kind of podcast at the moment. Eh, we'll be that kind of later, probably, or we have been, and we will be again. But I don't. I don't know. I don't want to be a liberal. I, I don't want to be Pod Save America or anything. But um, yeah, last days of Saigon. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we finally get sex positive Dax. I, I think every time we 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 get a Dax, we like. I, and so far, we're like, hey, it's a Dax we like because they haven't quite landed on it yet. But yeah, and less of a fuck up Bashir mentioned. Sadly, that goes away. Uh, the Muppet Yard sale. The the the, the little Muppet uh, again. I still wish there were more Muppets been watching a lot of Sesame Street with my kid too so I'm kind of like pro up uh, but you know hey that's that's what I'm dealing with right now it's part of why I haven't really talked to you guys in a while I don't know since the lockdown how many of these have I done again I'm the asshole now that sidebar quarantine is a weird place to be right and I've got this nine nine month old baby now nine months oh Remember when I was just having a baby? If you've been listening to the pod- Anyways, it's hard to find time for me to even listen to podcasts, much less record them. Well, that's not true. To find time to talk to myself slash talk to you guys, which I like doing, but it's a little rambly. It feels a little bit uh, masturbatory, uh, which, you know, in a figurative, not literal sense. I'm locked here in the bathroom of my tiny apartment, three rooms clowning this bathroom, but... The only masturbatory thing I'm doing is the uh, talking to myself here. Apologies. Sorry, not sorry. I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to hear this. But hey, look, it's my pod. I've been fucking it up. I can talk whatever I want right now. So, hey. And uh, I guess you guys can too if you want to call in. We'll listen to it. We haven't done any of that in a long time because um, what are we? what was I talking about? The siege. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, we talked about what the shallow ending of a great man story, Lean Alice. Oh, and then James brought up Martin Luther King. And I don't know, I've, I, this goes back to the uh, radicalization of us through the years. James talks about how the Lean Alice, there's the thing at the end with the Lean Alice that exists, who's kind of a fuck up, wants to jump out the window. And then the lead analyst, the the myth that needs to exist. And I think we still would mostly agree with that. But then James started talking about the Martin Luther King that we know from school versus the real one who was a much more complicated person and, you know, had problems with fidelity and everything. But we still we want the person to be remembered to be the one that from the school books or, you know, the, the myth to be remembered because, I mean, MLK was a great man, greater, again, greater than anybody, Lane Alice or anybody in the Star Trek show, just to get that out of the way. But again, it seemed to me like at this point to say, oh, we want our kids to remember the Martin Luther King that they learned in school. I don't think we'd even quite say that anymore because the real Martin Luther King was a lot more radical at his death. And the one that we get in school is kind of... um, kind of washed oh he's the cuddly nice one but not the one that was like the you know the the poor people's project anti-poverty stuff that people won't don't want to think about and the the you know the the more blatantly openly kind of socialist 
policy oriented. That's a Martin Luther King that I think back in the day when we recorded this, we'd say, yeah, well, obviously that's the one we want to remember. But especially now, I feel like if that came up in a pod, we'd be like, no, this is like, we should know that, you know, let, let our kids know that he was a complicated person. But at the, at the end, we need to know the real one, the one that was, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That was just something that I thought of when I was listening to this. But yeah. And then, yeah, for all this, this pod, we talk about what doesn't work, but we're still talking about it affectionately, which in the ROA, maybe it's a flip later on. You know, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to say my opinions on that. And then finally we get to the the what we should change at the end. And again, I've said this on every one of these remix pods that I've done that I kind of wish we hadn't dropped it. But this this is, I think, this is my favorite so far that, okay, this, this clenches to me. We should never, we should never have given up the comedy of it just because the whole bit about <laughs> Lee Nellis <laughs> falling through the vents with a naked Steven Weber and shooting him. That's golden. We needed more of that. Yeah. And then we get, oh, oh, and we're in season two now, and the, the robot died, right? Like, the robot voice you might notice is different at the end season two than it was in season one. I can give y'all a little bit of behind the scenes of why that is. It's because of me. Again, I'm the fuck up. Or James is the fuck up, maybe. Because James recorded all the, James did all the robot voice stuff on a uh, program that he had on a PC and then he lost the program or his son crashed the computer or something. So we didn't have access to that specific robot voice uh, text-to-speech program. And me being the go-getter that I was, like, well, I still want to do the robot voice. But I had to find my own because I only have Max in my house. And then – so that's that's why the voice sounds different. But, man, what a whiny little – with the robot voice, I listen to it now and I'm, and I think – Oh my God, I'm the guy that typed this stuff out. And he's just, you might notice me kind of muttering if you listen through the whole pod, which if you listen this far, hey man, I'm I'm proud of you. I'm impressed and thank you. I love you. And I, I'm glad, it makes me happy that you know, the, if you do notice these little changes I'm throwing on it, the robot voice at the end, every time I listen to it when I'm editing James and Hughes remixes and I hear the stuff that I've done, I've... You might have noticed a few times where I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, God. Because I, I hate myself. No, I don't hate myself. But I hate, like, the whiny script that I wrote for that robot at the end. Such a sad sack piece of shit. Just desperate for attention. Oh, man. So bad. But anyways, that's why that is. It's because I'm lame. And, uh, yeah. I've been editing out all the go to tumblr.com because we don't really mess with that anymore. And the... We got different stuff, but it says, this robot says Tumblr.com and rules of acquisition podcast at gmail.com and acquisition pod, which is not the Twitter handle anymore. Uh, but uh, speaking of, yeah, you can still do that. Now the new Twitter handle, if you haven't figured it out, it's Kickers Podcasts. Um, if you miss James and I and Hugh, all of us talking together, I know that I haven't done any of these in a while, and this is my fault because... It's been a few weeks since it is, but just because it's been so hard for me. But Jason, Hugh, and I have been recording podcasts, and some of them have been pretty fun. Some of them have been, uh, you know, this COVID lockdown thing has been hard on us. So we have like one, sometimes you just got to listen to some black metal and just vent and let people go moan and, and stuff. And I kind of, I'm a big metal fan 
So sometimes the sad despairing of black metal is fun. We have one pod that when we recorded it, we were like, oh, fuck, how black-pilled are we? And listening to it, it's not as bad as it felt. But sometimes you need to just get that off your chest. That's on the uh, it's on the Patreon at patreon.com slash kickersofels. And we've got other stuff that is not sad bastard uh, stuff. We, we've got one coming up about Rick and Morty and we're, you know— the grill pill is a new pill that James is all big on. We've got more of that coming up. We've got more of the books we've been listening to and reading. And, uh, you know, we're still at it. Even if you're not hearing me talk out my ass every three weeks on this, the remix stuff, we're still doing stuff. Go to patreon.com slash kickers of elves. And, oh, man, Jason, you record like five minutes of this stuff, and they're concise and good about it, and I'm just rambling about stuff that I'm well you know hey I need to talk to you guys sometimes and it's good to get this off my chest if you want to get stuff off your chest on the discord for the patreon we had kind of a a uh, support group for people that are kind of uh, disappointed with the mediocrity of the Star Trek coming out they've got that new strange new world show that they've announced that they'll never get their recording because nothing's recording now because of the because of the the Rona but uh, hey I mean and James and James uh, Hugh especially likes to com- accuse me of having a uh, dysfunctional relationship with Star Trek because I've been keeping up with the uh, the Picard podcast, formerly Disco Home Companion, and now. But uh, if you need to vent about your feelings on Star Trek or tell us we're wrong, go to the Discord and, and give us a call at the nine one seven four zero eight three eight nine eight. Anyways. I'm grateful that y'all are here for us, and, and if there's a way that I can be there for y'all, you know, I'm willing to listen, uh, if you, especially if you listen to 15 minutes of me yammering on like this. So, you know, I appreciate you. Keep listening to the pod. We'll keep doing these remixes, and it's, you know, it's, and we've got other stuff. We've got other very exciting things down the pipeline we've been working on for a while. Even the Even the patrons on Patreon don't know what's coming, but we've got a big project that we've been working on for a while that we're very excited about. Uh, if you're a patron, you'll probably, you might get in on that, but uh, we'll let you know that when we release it. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, I've, I've gone on way too long. I love you all, but not in a weird way. Thanks again. Hey, Star Trek's great. Isn't it? Even when it's not um, one to beam out. <laughs> all right. Bye. I don't know what to do with myself except in the time when I am talking. It's like I stopping. Okay, that's enough. I'm cutting it off. Oh, man. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, bye.